0: Oh, man, it is so awesome to be here with you. I have a couple special guests here with me today, and they come all the way from West Virginia, and that's my mom and dad, Ronnie and Phyllis Stanley. So honored to have them here. They've put up with me for 39 years, and it's all been a blessing for their lives. They'll get that later. You got that now. That's great. Awesome. Now, now we've had a great week. They've, uh, the, the boys have broke them in very well. They probably can't wait to get back to the quietness of their life, but that's okay. Um, man, you know what? I told you guys last week that I was kind of battling about uh, whether I was going to end uh, the, the struggle is real and, and start something new. And let me tell you, the struggle was real on that, by the way, you know, but I do feel compelled to move forward this morning into something completely different. And we're going to get right into a message series called Stand. All right? Stand. And In other words, what we're going to look at is how do you and I stand out? How are you and I standing out in society? How are you standing out in your family? How are you standing out amongst your friendships, your relationships? You know, I know you guys are probably get tired of hearing that, but I'm big on relationship. Because I'm big in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. And when I have relationship with fellow believers and I'm having relationship with Jesus Christ, and I know that God's going to move and do great things through this series that we're about to to get into. But how do we stand out in the right ways at the right time for the right reasons? I want to ask that question again. And this is our main focal point as we get into the sermon series is how do we stand out in the right ways at the right time for the right reasons? You know, I believe with all of my heart, I believe that if we are standing out in the right ways, at the right times, for the right reasons, God is going to meet us in our most desperate need. I believe if we stand up for God in the right ways, in the right time, for the right reasons. God is going to do some amazing things in our lives do some of those supernatural breakthroughs that maybe we've been praying about, some of those things that we've been longing and searching for God to bring completion to. But it only happens when we do the right things the right way for the right reasons, and then God truly begins to get involved. But on the flip side, as well as this is what we do, when we compromise on the wrong things, in the wrong ways and at the wrong times, it can cost us way more than we could ever imagine. Think about that in your own personal life for a minute of a season of compromise that maybe you have gone through. You've compromised when you knew what the right way, the right timing was, and the right reasons were, but yet you compromised because maybe something made you just a little uncomfortable And it calls you to do things that normally maybe you would not do or cause you to do things that simply just do not line up with God's plan and purpose and will for your life. What I want us to do this morning is in this message, we're going to lay a lot of foundation and a lot of groundwork for the messages to come. We're going to look first of all today in Daniel chapter 1. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory here of what's happening in Daniel chapter 1 before we get into the meat of the Scripture that we're going to look at today. But here you had this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the, the king at this time, and he was an evil king. We understand that he, uh, he destroyed Jerusalem. Uh, he was so evil that he, he just didn't destroy the city, but he also destroyed the temple. He destroyed the place of worship. But not only did he do that, But he took it a step further and he collected all of the things that represented worship or all of the things that represented God or the symbolisms of their worship to God, collecting them, destroying them, and even going as far as melting these things down. In other words, what he was trying to do was wipe away the image of God to God's people. What he was trying to do was saying, look, I am going to do this. The worship of your God is going to become so obsolete. I'm going to take out anything that even matters, remotely even close to the worship of the one that you say is the one true God. Then not only did he just destroy the temple and the religious symbols, but to make matters even worse, he goes as far as destroying the future as well as the present. He says to his leaders, paraphrasing here, go find the sharpest and the brightest sons of royalty and of the nobles. I want you to basically kidnap them, bring them to me. I'm going to indoctrinate them in the Babylonian culture. I'm going to train them for a period of three years. Then they're going to be future leaders in my government. So not only am I destroying Jerusalem and your present, I'm destroying your future by taking the best of your best and making them my leaders so they won't be yours. What I find interesting here and what we're about to get into as I'm just introducing this message is that the enemy is afraid of what we can do to him. There is... A a situation that has happened here with Nebuchadnezzar. First of all, he watched. He waited. And then he attacked when the timing was the opportune time. For Nebuchadnezzar, he saw a real threat to his reign. He saw a real threat to his kingdom. And that was the people of God. What I find very interesting here is that the enemy or Nebuchadnezzar was going after not only the present, but he was also going after the future. He knew that if he could get into the minds of those who were the wisest and the most influential and those of the leaders of tomorrow for Jerusalem, that he could destroy everything that God was trying to build up. Now, I find that interesting for us as a church, and, and I don't mean just as our local body, but I'm speaking of as the body of Christ, because what I find interesting is that I believe that the same tactic that Nebuchadnezzar was using and that Satan himself implemented or planted within his mind to try to bring an oppression or try to bring a defeat to God's people is the same enemy that is trying to do the exact same thing by doing this. Watch, he's watching, he's waiting and when the opportune time comes, he's going to attack. Now, we can see here through the scriptures in Daniel chapter one, verses three through five and we're gonna get right into the scripture now. It says, the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect. Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick. To, are, you, are you listening? Are you following this? This is who the enemy is going after in this moment. Handsome without physical defect, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. In other words, the enemy was going after those who who were voted uh, most likely to succeed. He was going to do several things, teach them his language. In other words, I want you to speak what I speak. The literature of the Babylonians in other words, I want you to think how I think. The king assigned them, goes on to say, a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Now we're going to get back to that in just a few moments. But remember that part of the scripture. And then it goes on to say that they were to be trained for a period of three years. And after that, they were, enter, they were to enter the king's service. Now, this was intentional. Everything about this was intentional. There was a strategic plan in this moment, and that was to indoctrinate these young men into the Babylonian culture. Think like the Babylonians think. Have the thoughts, the behavior as they had. Have the language as they had, even as far as going to eating the meals that they eat. I believe, again, that this is a direct mirror-type reflection of what the enemy is trying to do to you and I. As to what Satan tries to do to our lives day in and day out, we're continually and constantly trying to be infiltrated with the ways of our society and the ways of our world to bring some type of corruption or compromise into what we call a relationship with Jesus Christ in the hopes that we would begin to have a lack of. I believe exactly what we see here is individual, the enemy himself, trying to deflect us in understanding that God is not the one true God. Now, I know and you know that this is not so. I know that in my life, I serve the one true God. I know that in my life, in the past and in the present, I serve the one true God. I know that when tomorrow comes, I'm going to continually serve the one true God. However, every single day of our lives, Satan is trying to infiltrate into our minds and into our spirits his thoughts, his behaviors, his attitudes. Why? So that then we will then reflect him and not reflect God. Because if we're not reflecting God, then there's no way that we can feel, fulfill the mission that God has called each one of us to do. And what is that? We read that all through the gospels. To spread the word throughout this whole world. To spread the message of Jesus Christ throughout all humanity. However, the problem and I've said this many times, that we get sucked into is a culture of cultural Christianity. Where we allow compromise, where we allow a gray area when something is black or white. And I don't mean that in a racial context. But I'm meaning what we get into is an aspect of where the enemy tries to come in and says, are you really a Christian? are you really serving this one true God? Come on, those things that you have been taught all your life or, or those things that you've been taught since you've been serving this one true God, there's gotta be a little wiggle room in there. Are you following me? There's gotta be some area where we can you know, compromise and you can fulfill the lust of the flesh and yet still feel good about fulfilling your spirit in the works of God. Cultural Christianity speaks to us and says, you know what, it's okay to be called a Christian, but only attend church during major holidays or a couple times a year if my kid has something involved in it. Cultural Christianity even goes as far as doing this, and many of us in this room this morning are very guilty of this. I can spare an hour and 10 or hour and 20 minutes for God today. Think about it. That's what cultural Christianity is. Cultural Christianity is when the world looks at the church and says, I can't see a difference between the church and us. When we allow this cultural Christianity to infiltrate into our minds and our hearts and our spirits, it begins a, a, a corruption within us to where now we... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6, I believe that is the correct Uh, scripture on it, but it says the will of God for your life is to be what? Holy. The will of God for your life is for you to be holy. Cultural Christianity does not say or does not allow me to be holy. In fact, it does the opposite. What does holy mean? To be different and to be set apart. To be different and to be set apart. I have a responsibility as a Christ follower to live my life and understanding what the will of God is for my life is to be holy, which specifically means and is defined as me being different and me being set apart from who? Who am I being different? Who am I being set apart from? The enemy. And who does the enemy have his grip upon who is, who, who is such an influence in the society we live in today? The world that we live in today. So as a Christ follower, I am given specific instruction to be set apart, not to give in and not to compromise into this role of cultural Christianity. I must make the presence of God a priority in my life. I must make... God, a, a priority to where I'm continually seeking him, where I'm dependent upon him and not upon my own works or not upon those who are surra- I'm surrounded with daily. But my dependency must be completely upon God himself. I must find myself where I'm living and dwelling in his word continually, where I'm being fed and I'm renewing my mind. Where I'm learning to walk by faith and not by what? Sight. I must be listening and hearing the Spirit as it calls me and leads me so that I can live my life that is fulfilling or a fulfillment of God's purpose for why He created me. We cannot be just some kind of a Christian and have the life and victory that He wants us to have where we're allowing ourselves to be influenced by cultural christianity we must understand that the enemy is strategic that Satan himself is continually watching and studying us he's finding a loophole in our beliefs he's looking for areas of weakness so that what he can do devour us we understand that the scripture says that he is a, as a lion seeking to whom he may what devour we, as Christ followers, must take on that same approach, though. We must keep ourselves within prayer and study of God's word. Just as strategic as what the enemy himself is in trying to implement his thoughts and his behavior and his way of thinking and his language and his actions within my lifestyle, I must also be just as strategic in how I can in turn flip the script on him and begin to infiltrate into other people's the thoughts of God, the behaviors of a Christ-like follower, the reactions and actions of someone who is praying and staying and studying within God's word day in and day out. In fact, Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 6. Go look at 11 and 13. It says to do what? Put on the full armor of God. I want to stop right there for a second. It says the full armor, not just a portion of it. One day I can't just say I'm going to pick up the sword of the spirit, but yet leave the breastplate of righteousness. One day I can't say I'm going to pick up the shield of faith, but let down the sword of the spirit. One day I can't just wake up and say, I'm just gonna put on the helmet of salvation because that's what many of us do in the cultural Christianity. We will say, well, well, does this all really matter? I love Jesus, so who cares? But the word says that we are to put on the full armor of God. So I might put on the full, you know, the the, the helmet of salvation today, but then leave home the shoes of peace. God's word says that we are to do what? Put on the full armor armor of God so that you can take your what? Stand against the devil's schemes. Then verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Think about that. Stand your ground. When is the last time When is the last time that you can think in your mind where you were attacked so strategically that you stood your ground? Therefore, put on the forearm, of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, what? To stand, to stand. We must take a stand for that which matters the most in the right ways at the right time, for the right reasons. If you're never standing out and you're always blending in, then are we allowing ourselves to become so come to cultural Christianity? If you're never standing out, but blending in, that should register, that should throw out some red flags on some of you this morning. Because my question to you would be, are you standing out? Or are you blending in? When people see you, do they see the difference? Do they see that scripture in 1 Thessalonians even though they don't know it, but they know that you're holy because you are set apart and because you are different? Are they seeing that in your life? This is crucial for us in order to stand firm in God's word. This is crucial for us as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. Even in the scripture it says what? Be holy for what? I am holy. If God is in my life and Jesus is the savior that I proclaim he to be in my life, and if I say he is in my heart and in my spirit, And the scripture says that be holy because what? I am holy. That we have a responsibility to be just that, holy. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Kevin, that's great. I get that. I understand. But how are you going to help me do this? How is God going to help me do this? How how am I going to be able to get there? Trust me, we'll get there in a minute. But going back to Daniel 1, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. And it says this, among those who were chosen from Judah, we have what? Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And then it goes on to verse 7. The chief officials gave them new names. Now watch this. This is, very, this is, this is important, what we're about to see here. They're going to change their diet, and they're about to change their names. So the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, why? Why was it important for these names to be changed? Why? Because watch this. Back in this day, you were labeled by your name. There was, a defi- there was a definition with your name. You know, Kevin doesn't have a definition. I mean, i look at, you ever go to like one of them bookstores and they have them little cards and you can like find your name and it says you're all this and you're really not? You know what I mean? These individuals that are listed here are of the group of people that King Nebuchadnezzar was saying, look, I need these guys. I need those who are of influence and influence those who would be considered voted most likely to succeed. And so when they bring them in, the officials decide to change their names. And the reason being is that their names defined worship to the one true God. So what they wanted to do was change what people called them so that they could be reminded that their name no longer or that they no longer were defined by their name as worship of the one true God, but rather defined as the pagan gods of the Babylonians. Then they're gonna change their diet. You're supposed to eat. We read earlier that the food was prepped for the king. Um, You know, what I have a hard time with is if I'm going to be fed what the king's going to eat, it's pretty good. Think about that for a moment. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, if, if, if I were them, let's be, just be honest. And the king said, you know what? I'm going to feed you from my table. Huh, pff, this thing ain't so bad. You know, because you know the king is eating steak. He's eating lobster. You know, the king is eating good. The problem with that, though, for these young men is that what the king was eating was sacrificed and dedicated to the pagan gods of the Babylonians. Now, we're going to look at verse 8 here in the scripture, and it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to file himself in that way. Now, I find this interesting because we don't see where Daniel bucked up to the whole deal of, you can't change my name. He's okay with that. He's all right with his name being changed because he knew inwardly who he was. He knew inwardly that outwardly who he was was going to show regardlessly. He had no problem with an outward change. It's kind of like us. You know, we're, when you go from the world to serving God, sometimes you're labeled as a, you know, Christ follower, which is great. Holy roller, you know, that's what church of God, you know, that, that whole deal. You know, you're labeled with all these different labels and yeah, label me what you want. Say what you want about me. That's what Daniel's impression is in this moment. He's not necessarily concerned with how people would look at him or how they would relate to him. He didn't matter. That didn't matter to him. But we find out the moment that they go, you know what, we're going to change your diet. You're going to eat from the king's table. You're going to eat the food, the very food, that was being dedicated to the Babylonian pagan gods. And then all of a sudden, whoa, wait a minute. Now you're affecting me inwardly. Now you're trying to bring corruption with inside of me. That became a turning point for Daniel. In that moment, wait, we're not going there. I'm not going to allow you to affect me inwardly. I... I I read this, and as I was looking at it and and thinking on it and and, and trying to figure out what God was trying to show me here or, or show us is this. We need to be careful with those things that we're allowing to come into our lives. Not just on the outward sense, because like Daniel, it didn't matter. He knew who he was. But the very things that we're allowing to come into us inwardly, because remember, When you fully change, where do you change first? In the heart. You change inside, and then it works itself, what? To the outside. And Daniel, in that moment, realized this. And he's like, no, I'm not letting that happen. Instead, he says, I'm going to take a stand. He took a stand when God's name might be defamed and saying, I'm not going to let you insult the name of God. I resolve not to defile myself by eating this type of food. What did he do in this moment? He made a predetermined resolution. What does that mean? That means at some point in his life, he made a predetermined decision that he would not allow himself to become defiled for anything that went against God. He made a predetermined decision as the Babylonians were taking them captive. In other words, saying, they might take me physically. They might take me with my name, but they will never take my worship away from the one true God. He knew, and these young men knew that they were gonna come up upon a battle a battle that would be severely tough. But in their minds, they were predetermined that regardless of what type of influence was going to be coming their way, they were going to stand their ground and continue to worship the one true God. I sit there and I think about that to myself in my own personal life. There's been many times where I have compromised and I have defiled this temple that God has created. I've allowed language to defile. I've allowed thoughts to defile. I've allowed substance to defile. I've allowed things that I've seen to defile. I've allowed my actions and responses to defile. But what I find so interesting here is that before they even came before Nebuchadnezzar or the officials, There is a predetermined decision already made. This will not happen. I believe that for these young men, there was a time of prayer with one another, as well as individually, as well as wanting to understand more of God's word. And making a solid commitment that they would not be defiled making a solid commitment that God would not be defiled, making a solid commitment that they would not be distracted away from the one true God. What I find so interesting, though, for you and I, is that if we would just get this same type of mindset, where we would wake up every day and make a predetermined decision that regardless of what my day might bring me, Today, I will not make any decision that defiles God. Today, I will not make any decision that would cause me to compromise God's standards for living in my life. Think about that. If we would take on that type of mentality, if we would take on that type of attitude and that type of thought process, Imagine the messes that we have allowed to come into our lives, how little or far less there would be. What I find so interesting in this moment is that it was like, whoa, you know what? I'm not going to allow this to define who I am. He predetermined, he made a decision before he was faced with the temptation to do what is right. I believe that our enemy is looking. He's watching. I believe he's waiting. And he's finding the right opportunity to when he can attack. I believe with King Nebuchadnezzar in this moment, he had watched him. He had waited patiently. And when the right opportunity came, he chose To attack. You know, I I find it interesting here because something something jumps out in me, and I believe that these young men had the right spirit about them. I believe they had the Holy Spirit with them, leading and guiding along this journey that they were in. Now, something that I find very interesting as I go into the New Testament. Is with Jesus. We understand Jesus goes to the Jordan River. We understand that he's baptized. And when he's baptized, something comes upon him. The Spirit. The Spirit. We read some verses later that that same Spirit that came upon Jesus is also the same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. Now watch this. I believe that the enemy was already in the wilderness far before Jesus ever got there. And he was watching. And then as Jesus came into that wilderness season, into that place of desolation. As Jesus came into that, we understand that we don't read anywhere in the scripture where the enemy came to attack him, do we? At no point did the enemy come to attack Jesus until when? The end. So I believe that the enemy was in the wilderness watching for Jesus to come. And then when he came, he sat there patiently and he waited. What did he wait for? He didn't get him when he was the most strongest, did he? What he thought was the most strongest. He didn't get him when he thought there's no way that I can influence him now because he's, he's just, God's sending me out now. He's, he's full of the spirit. He's I can't do it now. I have to wait. I have to wait for the attitude to come down. I have to wait for the despair. I have to wait for the starvation, the hunger. I have to wait for him to become tired, not only physically, but he also must become tired spiritually. So understand that the enemy did what? He watched and then he waited. And then right at the end, what did he do? He attacked. He went after him. Now, what I love about it though, and we know this, three separate occasions, Jesus took a what? He took a stand. He did not allow himself or God to become defiled. Why? Because he had already made a predetermined decision. You need to understand something. Your decisions mean so much. You have no, bear, you, you, you can't even hardly fathom I hear so many people say, well, I just take one day at a time. Stop taking one day at a time as a Christ follower. Stop giving the one day at a time to God himself and having a predetermined decision that regardless of the attack that the enemy might bring upon me, even though he's been watching me, he's been waiting for the opportune time. And when he attacks me, when I'm at my weakest point, I will take a stand and say, nothing will define or defile this temple that God has created, and that God has made. I find it interesting, uh, another story, and we look in Genesis, and we can see with Adam and Eve, God gave them specific instruction. Don't eat the fruit of this what? Tree. Don't eat it. You don't need it. I've got everything else out here for you. I believe they went about their business and did whatever they did in the garden. It must've been great, that's all I know. Can't wait for perfection. Way to ruin it for us, right? And in that garden, the enemy was what? Watching. Watching their every move, watching their behavior, watching their attitude. And then he what? He was waiting. They're too close to God right now. They're they're dependent upon him. And the very moment when the guard is let down, the very moment when the weakness shows, the enemy shows up and he attacked. But this time we didn't have a stand. This time God was defiled. All right, I heard a story from a a pastor or I don't know if he's a pastor or a preacher or what and it was recently and believe me I didn't watch this he watched this on Discovery I'm not going to watch this because I'm deathly afraid of snakes I'm deathly afraid of snakes you guys know that spiders I kill them all day long I don't care snakes I scream like a girl and run all right But I was listening to this pastor, and he was telling this story, and I thought it was really interesting. He said, There's this lady, and she had a pet snake. Look, if you got a pet snake, don't invite me over for dinner. I'm not coming. If you're sick, I'll pray with you over the phone. (laughs) This lady had a snake, and it was a pet snake. In my mind, I'm thinking, you know, it's probably like a black snake, garden snake, something like that, you know. And she had this pet snake, and she would feed it, you know, feed it every day, give it rats and rodents. And the snake would, you know, eat all these things and all this stuff. And in my mind, I was going, that's a much bigger snake than what I was thinking. You know what I mean? I was like, this is, this is going to get kind of creepy, I think. I'm even getting goosebumps just telling you this because it just. And so day after day, she's with her snake and feeding it and, and all this stuff. And then one day, the snake just stopped eating. Just didn't eat no more. Over and over, she continued to feed the snake and it didn't, didn't respond to the food, didn't do any of that. And so she got so concerned several days that she took the snake to the vet. You know, as a kid, I used to want to be a veterinarian. I'm so glad I never became a veterinarian because I'd have been like, you got to go to the vet down the road, you know. So she took the snake to the vet and she told the vet, you know, what was happening. And the vet was like, okay, shook his head and started asking a lot of questions. And the first question said, uh, do you sleep with this snake? And the lady said, well, yeah, his aquarium is right beside me. And sometimes he slithers out and I lay him sleep in the bed with me. See, some of y'all are like, ooh! That's not the the Holy Ghost, I promise. And the snake slithered out and would lay with me. And I was fine with it. I didn't, you know, it was good. And the guy's like, all right, all right. Um, Well, does the snake stretch itself out beside you? Have you ever woke up and the snake stretched itself out? And the lady said, well, now that you say it, I woke up the other morning, I looked at it, it was looking at me and it was, tra- first of all, if there's a snake looking at me when I wake up first, in the- don't look at your spouse. That's a good one. That's going? All right. But if there's a snake laying beside, this lady is crazy. She needs Jesus. That's what I'm thinking. She's got Eve in her middle name, I think. All right. Anyway, anyway. So the, the snake is, is full length beside her and The vet is going, hmm, okay. Well, we got some good news and some bad news. And the lady said, oh, great. Well, what's the good news? The good news is your snake's not sick. Really? Well, what's the bad news? The snake is sizing you up so that he can swallow you whole because it's a python. (laughs) Wow. Woo. I heard that and I was like, Click. You have no God about you in this message. Click. Your enemy is sitting there waiting. That snake was waiting in that aquarium for that right moment. Then when he got into her environment, or he was watching, rather. Then when he got into her environment, what? He waited. And what was he waiting for? The right opportunity. You see, what happens is in those moments, and I I found this out later on. I'm getting all weirded out now, but they will... Uh, get their body to the point where it could swallow you whole. They will starve it to death and somehow it stretches it out to where it, I know some of you don't want to hear it, but that's what was happening. This snake was doing preparation to attack this woman in the opportune time at the right moment. I wonder for all of us in this room, if our enemy isn't watching, and isn't waiting and he's sizing you up spiritually. If you're not staying in the word of God, if you're not staying in prayer, if you're not staying in a time of a yearly fast, if you're not allowing yourself to be in the house of God with worship and with fellow believers, I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. That snake is sizing you up and he's gonna swallow you up and you're gonna look back and go, where did it all go wrong? See, for Daniel and these young men, they made a predecision. Verse 13. Uh, actually, let's go to Daniel 1, 12 through 15 first. He says this. Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Let's go on. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Go into verse 14. So he agreed to do this and tested them for 10 days. And then the next verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So, what did they do? Now watch this. For most of us in this moment, especially for me, I probably would have acted this way. They would have said, look, you're gonna to have to eat the foods of the pagan god." They're like, nope, hunger strike. Not doing it. Caused a big riff, right? Caused a massive problem. Daniel's smart. He had wisdom and not why do you think he had wisdom and knowledge? Because this man is keeping himself with the Spirit of God continually. God is continually watching over him and these young men. Why? Because they're of nobility. Why? Because they are the future leaders of tomorrow. Why? Because they're not defiling themselves. And so God clearly was giving them education and wisdom and knowledge probably beyond their understanding. So he says, you know what? Instead of coming in like a hothead, like many of us do, let's think about that. When something's brought against us, our first reaction is I'm about to blow my lid, right? We talked about that last week as we were talking about forgiveness. But he chooses to do something different. He says, you know what, let's make a deal here. How about for 10 days, all we're gonna do is eat the vegetables, water, all that healthy stuff. That's where the Daniel fast comes in. Anybody ever do the Daniel fast? It's rough, but it's awesome, but it's rough. He chose to go about it the right way. I wonder if we would begin to choose to go about confrontation that comes to us the right way, how much better things could change, how much better the outcomes could be. You know, our first response is, let's get on Facebook and just blast how bad these people are so the world can see it. What are we, three? Think about that for a moment. First thing we want to do is start sending out text messages. First thing we want to do is get on the phones with our best friends and ridicule. First thing you want to do is, can you believe what they've done? That is not how we're to handle these things. If Daniel and them would have went that direction, who knows how this story story could have changed. Instead, they said, you know what, let's do this for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Why? Because they pre-decided. They pre-decided that they were not going to be defiled. Their God wasn't going to be defiled. They pre-decided they were going to stand strong in the midst of a storm. They pre-decided that regardless of what I'm going to be brought up against, I'm going to stand firm in my relationship and I'm not going to allow the ways of this world to sway me. They understood that their enemy was doing something, that he was watching and that he was waiting for the opportune time. But just as Jesus, as the enemy was watching and waiting, and when the enemy thought it was the opportune time, Jesus turned and flipped the script. When the enemy thought it was the opportune time for these young men, what happened? They turned it and they flipped the script on him. I think to myself, how much more would this story and the stories that we're going to get into as we go through uh, this sermon series would have changed if they didn't predecide and stand strong. Stand with me this morning. Verse 19 says this: that the king talked with them. He found none equal to Daniel, to Hananiah, Michelle. And Azariah. God gave them the ability to interpret visions and dreams and literally redirect the course of history because they stood firm with what mattered the most. So, this morning, my thought is this. It kind of goes along with what I was, my first statement. When we compromise on the wrong things in the wrong ways at the wrong times, it can cost us way more than we can even imagine. But how about we stand in the right ways at the right time for the right reasons? Then we can see our course change and the distractions of our lives become far less. So what is God trying to tell us today? I believe it's this. It's that we need to pre-decide. We need to predetermine what we're going to do. That means every day, man, when we get up, we go before the Lord in prayer and today, God, today's the day the Lord is made and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Today, God, is is a day of, of salvation and you're going to use me to bring salvation to somebody's life. Today, God, I'm going to speak life into other people. Today, God, is going to be different. Today, God, when I'm being attacked by the enemy because I know he's Waiting and he's watching for the opportune time, I'm going to stand firm in the word of God. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and to direct my thoughts, what I say, the environments that I put myself into that so easily uh, entangle us in the trap of what Satan's trying to do or the enemy's trying to do by defiling who God is in our lives. That I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to say, God, today I'm going to be strong. Today, God, I'm going to, your, your word's going to speak to me and I'm going to speak it out of me. Because listen to this, whatever you bring in must come out. If you're speaking life, it's because you're bringing life in. But if you're speaking death, it's because you're allowing death to come in. It's time that we watch what we're bringing into our hearts, into our minds, into our souls, into our spirits. Daniel realized, look, you can call me whatever you want to call me. In other words, I can have whatever reputation you want me to have, but I promise you this. I'm not going to put anything that defiles God into this temple. And because of that, history was made. Because of that, we're gonna get into several stories where God was exalted and we saw the great and the mighty move of God. Do you want this great and mighty move of God in your life? If you do, then you will pre-decide today that today's a new day, today's a day that God, I'm deciding that nothing comes into this temple that is corrupt. No longer, Lord, am I gonna allow a spirit of compromise to be upon me, but from this moment on, God, Everything that comes into this temple, I'm going to be cautious over, and I'm going to say, does it filtrate through your word? And if it does, then I allow it. But if it doesn't, get behind me. You see, the greatest thing that happened to Jesus when the enemy attacked him was this, he spoke the word. He spoke the word. There's no denying the word of God. There's no denying the authenticity of the word of God. There's no denying the power in the word of God. And when we allow this word to get into our lives, when we are faced with the trials and the temptations and we're placed in the environments that can cause us to fall, (laughs) we got a firm foundation. And the enemy could come in and he can try to wreck it all he wants. But just like with Daniel, they stood. They stood their ground. Like Jesus, he stood his ground. I look all throughout the scriptures and I see men and women just like you and me who God used to do miraculous and to do awesome, wondrous things. But you know what? None of them went through anything without a storm, without difficulty, without trial. And when the storm and the difficulty and the trials came, they were prepared for it. Why? Because they had a firm foundation. I believe we need to have that firm foundation today. I believe that there's some of us who maybe we've gotten lax in the word of God. We've got lax in prayer. We've got lax in, maybe you've never even pre-decided. Maybe this is new to you. Maybe you've never had the thought of, maybe, you know what? I'm gonna start praying that prayer, Pastor Kevin. I'm gonna start praying that prayer that today is a new day. Today, God. Today, Lord, as I start my journey, I'm pre-deciding. I live for you and only you. Instead of waking up going, oh, I need my coffee. Another bad day is approaching. Change that attitude. Change that mindset. Change how you're going to approach everything. Look at it as if God's looking at you and saying, are you going to talk to me today? Do you want to commune with me today? Do you want communication? Do you want to build on this relationship? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Understanding that the enemy is watching. He's waiting. He's waiting so that he can attack you. And listen, that's exactly what he's doing. What I'm saying, I'm not lying here. I'm not saying that this this potentially could happen. No, this is happening for every single one of you. He's watching you and he's waiting and he's looking for that opportune time. But today's different. Today's different. Today, he didn't want you here. Today, as you're going through this message, some of you were being distracted and through the worship, you're being distracted. He did not want you to hear this message today because he knew that if he were to hear this message, things turn around. Things become so much harder for him. You know what? I want it to be hard for Satan. He's made my life so hard so many times. I'm sick of it. It's time that I make it hard for him. So my question to you this morning is, If you would agree with me and say, you know what? I want to pre-decide. I want to be a person that stands. I want to be a person that says, you know what? Regardless of how hard the wind blows and regardless of the temptations that come my way, I'm going to stand firm in the Spirit of God. I'm going to stand firm in the message of God through His Word. I'm going to stand firm in this Holy Spirit and believing that God is going to provide through this. If that is you today, And you can honestly say, Pastor Kevin, I want to stand. I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I want to be like these young men who were firm in the relationship. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up and say, yes, that's me. All across this room, men and women, young, old, raising their hand. God, we love you. Father, we worship your holy name. And this morning, Lord, you see the uplifted hands. You see the hands, God. You see the hearts. You know your people mean business today when they say, today, Lord, we want to pre-decide. Today, God, things become different. Today, God, I'm going to decide not to compromise. I'm going to decide to be in your word. I'm going to decide, Lord, for you to lead me and guide me in all of my decisions. Today, God, change happens today, God, just as these young men who stood firm in their belief and did not waver. Today, God, as we know that the enemy is watching and he's waiting for the opportune time. And when that time comes, when the enemy attacks us, we're going to recognize it and we're going to stand firm. Not today. Get behind me. Paul says in in the scriptures in Corinthians that when the sin came upon him, when the sin come his way, he ran from it. We're going to run. We're going to understand we're, Lord, you' are going to enlighten us. you're going to open up our spiritual eyes, Lord, that we're going to recognize the things that are not of you more through your Holy Spirit. So Father, Lord, you see your people today who are making that commitment. I'm predeciding. I'm predetermining today that my life will be different. As the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians, Lord, that your will for us is to be holy and that is to be set apart and to be different. And today, Lord, we make that decision. We thank you, Father. We thank you. And God, as we leave this place today, we just ask, Lord, that you would be with each one of us and God, let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And as we leave this place today, God, that we leave knowing that we have the victory on our side. That you are with us, guiding, protecting, just as we pray for these young children today, you're doing for every one of us. So, God, as we leave this place, I pray, God, that you will bless the gifts, the tithings, and the offerings that will be given to you in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen Amen and amen. All right, we love you guys. Have a good day.